Some things take a while uh, to be fulfilled, don't they? Uh, they start coming good, but it takes a while to complete them, like building a house. Uh, once you've decided what you want, first thing you've got to do is sign the contracts. And they're a bit like uh, promises, aren't they? They're promises from you uh, to pay up, and they're promises from the builders to build what you want. Uh, and these promises begin to be fulfilled. You pay a deposit, they lay the foundation. But it's a while before the promises are completely fulfilled. It takes a while for a house to be built. Uh, you'll probably change your mind about uh, what kitchen tap fittings you want. They're going to landscape the garden completely wrong. Uh, things happen that uh, make things take a bit of a while, but eventually your house is built and you finish paying for it all. Now, the promises began to be fulfilled some time ago, but now they're fulfilled, they're complete. Now that's a little bit like this bit of the Bible that we're thinking about this morning. God makes promises and they begin to be fulfilled, but it's a while before they completely come good. Now God always keeps his word and being God, he's just got to say what he's going to do and that should be enough for us and is enough for us. But in kindness, God begins to fulfill his word to assure us that his promises will come good in full. Now this morning we're finishing off our little series in Genesis and our remaining chapters focus on God's faithfulness to his promises. Uh, two weeks ago, hopefully you remember, we, we looked at the promises of God. God made these promises to Abraham to, to make him a great nation, to give him people, uh, to give him a land and promise to bless him. People, land and blessing. Well, today we get to the end of Abraham's life and what we find is that by the time of Abraham's death, God had begun to come good on all his promises. Now, there was more to come for his descendants, much more, but within Abraham's life, God had already begun to fulfill his word. Now, the New Testament tells us that you and I are like Abraham in this. We too have seen the beginnings of God's fulfillment of his promises in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but God's still got more to come with the result that we are to live expectant, grateful, strange lives as we wait for God's final fulfillment of his promises. Now, more of that in a bit. What we need to do first is uh, see how this is played out for Abraham in Genesis. Then we'll see how Jesus fulfills the promises and how that makes us his grateful, expectant, strange people. So first to Genesis. We're looking at chapters 21 to 25. Uh, these chapters tell of the remainder of Abraham's life after God's made his promises to him. And in these chapters, we see God fulfill, begin to fulfill all his promises, promises of people, land and blessing. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at God uh, repeating to Abraham his promise of descendants. Maybe you remember that. Uh, God kept saying, Abraham, your wife Sarah, she'll have a son. She will have a son, Abraham. And this was all despite the fact that Sarah was unable to have children. Remember that? Well, according to his word, God gave Abraham and Sarah a son. Flick back to chapter 21 and verse 1. As I read it, listen for the emphasis on things happening according to what God had said. Chapter 21 and verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore. Now the point's obvious, isn't it? God is faithful to his word. Abraham saw the beginning of the people that was promised to him. Isaac was born. 
Now, in chapter 22, uh, Isaac is preserved. And then in chapter 23, Sarah dies. Now, it's sad. And to make things worse, Abraham has got nowhere to bury her. He's been wandering around this land that God has promised him for about 60 years, but he still owns none of it. However, Sarah's death leads to Abraham coming into possession of some of the land. At the time of her death, uh, Abraham is living among the people called the Hittites. Abraham asks to buy some land off them, and the Hittites agree. And so Abraham buys the land, and the point of it all is that this piece of land now belongs to him. It's legally his. He owns it. Have a look. Skip across. Chapter 23, chapter 23 and verse 17. Listen for the emphasis on this land now belonging to Abraham. Verse 17. So Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, was legally made over to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were legally made over to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. See, Abraham now owns a piece of the land. He saw the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise of God that he would get the land. Then in chapter 24, uh, Abraham's getting old and he wants to make sure that his son Isaac gets a wife. Uh, but not just, to, not just any girl. Uh, this girl's got to come from the right family and that's his family because his family is the family of promise. But Abraham doesn't have any family in the promised land. He left them back in Babylon. And so he gets his servant to go back to his family and find a girl for Isaac or lady. And sprinkled throughout chapter 24, which is all about this servant going and getting this wife for Isaac, sprinkled throughout it are these references to Abraham having been blessed greatly by God. You see, it's a good thing to marry into this family because this is the family of promise, the promise of blessing. Chapter 24 and verse 1. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you'll not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. So the servant goes, meets Rebecca, lovely lady, and he then has to give an account of himself to Rebecca's brother, Laban. Seems like he needs the brother's approval for this marriage. And so skip down to verse 34. Verse 34, you've got the servant speaking to Laban. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, men servants and maidservants, and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he's given him everything he owns. And so Laban and Rebekah, they agree to the proposal. Rebekah goes back with the servant to marry Isaac, the son of Abraham. And the one thing that's, uh, one of the things that's been made clear along the way in all of this story is that Abraham has been blessed greatly by God. God uh, Abraham has seen the beginnings of the fulfillment of God's promise to bless him. And all of what we've seen so far is summarized for us neatly in uh, what uh, Lynn read for us earlier in chapter 25. In that chapter, as you hopefully remember, we read of Abraham's death. 
And as we're told of it, we see that in Abraham's lifetime, he saw the beginnings of God's fulfillment of all his promises. I'll pick it up from chapter 25, verse 5. And that's because I'm a bit of a coward. I don't want to read all those funny names again. So chapter 25, verse 5, as I read it, listen for the references to Abraham already having, been, already having received the beginning of the fulfillment of the promises, people, land, and blessing. Chapter 25, verse 5. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Memory, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. Catch them all. Abraham's got a son, so there's people. He has Isaac. He died full of years. It's this picture of having a life, being blessed by God, and he was buried in the one plot of land that he owned. People, blessing, land. God had come good on all his promises to Abraham. But there was more to come. In the very next verse, we read that after Abraham's death, the promises were to continue through Isaac. There was more to come. Look at verse 11, chapter 25, verse 11. After Abraham's death... God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Beer Lahai Roy. The fulfillment that Abraham had seen, it was just the beginning. God would continue to keep the same promises to Isaac. And as we keep reading our Old Testaments, we see God continue to keep his promises, first to Isaac, then to Jacob, then to Jacob's 12 sons, and eventually to the nation that comes from those 12 sons, Old Testament Israel. Over and over, God keeps... Uh, being faithful to the promises that he first made to Abraham. And so, as we read the Old Testament, we see Old Testament Israel become a great nation. They live in all of the promised land, and they live under the incredible blessing of God. And yet, sadly, they lose it all. Because of their sin, Israel is even rejected by God as his people at times. Because of their sin, Israel is put under God's curse instead of enjoying his blessing. Because of their sin... They're kicked out of the land. Now, they're eventually allowed back into the land, but not to own it. They live under foreign rule, and they remain under the curse of God. And so the promises of God that had begun to come good, well, they seem to fade away. So what's the story? God given up on his promises? No. It's that he had always had something much bigger than Old Testament Israel in mind. And so we read of the Lord Jesus. And as he steps onto the stage of history, the promises of God come alive again. And through Jesus, God fulfills them all. In the light of his death and resurrection, the Apostle Paul can write of Jesus. It's uh, written there on your outline in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. On your outline, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20, Paul writes, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes... In Christ. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, God has come good in incredible ways on his promises of people, land and blessing. But not just for Israel, for the whole world, even people like you and me. You see, because of our sin, we can't be the people of God. 
Our sin means we can't enter the true land of God, the new creation. Our sin means we can't enjoy the blessings of God. But Christ died in the place of sinners. And so if you have your trust in Christ, well, then you are included in all the promises of God. In the here and now, Christians already enjoy God's beginning fulfillment of his promises. And so in Christ, we have already been showered with the blessings of God. For example, we've been forgiven of our sins. We've been given new hearts that want to obey the Lord. Through Christ, we have also been given God's Holy Spirit, that we can call on God as Father. God is our Dad. And that's just a few of the blessings that have come to us already in Christ. And for those of us who trust in the death of Christ, we have already become a people belonging to God. Through Christ, we're God's treasured possession, his chosen people, the God of all creation. And he prizes us in Christ to be for his praise and glory. What an incredible privilege. And for those who who trust in Christ, we're also guaranteed a spot in the eternal land of God, the new creation, where everything will be finally and fully completed. We're assured of going through Christ, who died and came back to life to secure our place in it. So see, because of Jesus, we've already become the people of God. We already enjoy the blessings of God. We're assured of the eternal land of God. All of this is ours now. In Christ. You've got to admit, Jesus is quite amazing. Essential. He's glorious. And incredibly, just like Abraham, we even look forward to more from the hand of God. Abraham saw the beginning of God's fulfillment of his promises. Well, in Christ, we've seen much more than he ever dared to dream about. And yet there's still more to be fleshed out from the promises of God. When it comes to God's people, God's blessing and God's land, in Christ, God has more to lavish us with. So up to point three on your outline, and we're going to quickly think through God's final fulfillment of his promises and how that shapes us as his people. So first, God's final fulfillment of his people. At the return of the Lord Jesus, God's people will be finally made complete in the sense that at the moment... God's people aren't all together. We're incomplete. You see, there's people like my dad, someone with their trust in the Lord Jesus, but death has separated us. My dad's part of the people of God, but I can't see him anymore. I can't be with him. And I'm sure many of us could repeat the story with different loved ones who trusted in the Lord Jesus, but death has separated us. There's separation among the people of God, and that is sad and hard. But the hope that we have in Christ Jesus is that one day God's going to reunite us. And so we're to live expectantly, waiting for Christ's return and the reuniting of his people. Turn across to 1 Thessalonians with me. 1 Thessalonians. It's towards the back of the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And here we read some of the amazing things that will happen when Christ returns for his people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. As I read it, see if you can spot the twin hopes that God gives us here. 
twin hopes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll be with the Lord forever. You catch the twin hopes? Not only do we get to be with the Lord forever, we'll also be reunited with lost ones. When Christ comes down from heaven, all of God's people, dead or alive, will be brought before the Lord Jesus to be with him forever. That's a marvellous hope, isn't it? The complete people of God brought together in final fulfilment of God's promises. You and I, we've already been made into God's people, and it's wonderful, but there's more to come. And so we live expectantly, waiting for the day of God's people, reunited at last to be with the Lord forever. Now, Secondly, let's think about God's final fulfillment of his blessing. And a big blessing that God will give at the return of Christ is the complete removal of sin. And it doesn't take much to think about that one to realize what a big blessing that will be. We'll no longer struggle with doing the will of God. Sin will be gone. There won't be any more battle within us to try and do what God wants us to do. We'll no longer be frustrated by those battles. With our new hearts, we'll always live rightly before the Lord. What relief. What joy that'll bring. And the whole new world will be like this. There'll be no wickedness, no evil, no perversity. I won't impact you with my sin. And you won't impact me. It'll be a world free from sin. And another blessing that God will bring in the new creation is the removal of sickness and death. There'll be no more runny noses, no more blocked noses, no more headaches, no more depression, no more cancer, no more tragedy, no more death, no more tears. We have so much to be thankful for. God has already lavished us with so much and he's got more to come. Every moment of our lives, we have reason to be grateful to God, don't we? Whether it's in tragedy and sadness or in times of great wonder, we can always give thanks to God. And so in Colossians chapter 3, we read, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And lastly, let's turn our attention to God's final fulfillment of his promises of a land. The land of Old Testament Israel, Palestine, was a pale, paltry shadow of God's true promised land, the new creation. And our place in that new creation is guaranteed by Christ himself. And so we're looking forward to receiving what has been promised, just like Abraham did. Turn across with me to Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 11. It's just a little bit after Thessalonians. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we're given a list of some of the heroes of the Old Testament, including Abraham who's commended for trusting in the promises of God for the promised land. So Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13, it's talking about Abraham and a few others. And the writer says in verse 13, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. 
If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Strangers and aliens on earth. Now, if Abraham could live as an alien and a stranger, then so too should we. Because we've got it much better than Abraham ever did. We've seen more of the fulfillment of God's promises. We know of Christ risen from the dead, having gone into heaven before us and coming to return to take us to be with him. And so as we wait, we long for a better country. We live as aliens and strangers on earth. This world's not our home. Our nice furnished houses, that's not our place of rest. Retirement is not the hope of our future. See, the world wants us to believe that once you get a few more things in place, well, then you'll be satisfied and content. First, you just need to upgrade your car and your entertainment system, plus your house. should get another income to afford those holidays you deserve. And once you've got all that, make sure you're going to be very comfortable in retirement. See, the world wants us to hold on to the things of this world, to, to get them and protect them, ensure them and hold on to them. Not us. We sit loose to the things of this world. We're strangers on this planet. This isn't our home. We're longing for a heavenly country. Strangers. Living for what is yet to come. Living for what this world can't provide, but what God will provide, as is promised in the new creation. So look, what have we seen this morning? Well, we've seen that through Christ Jesus and his death, we have already been made into the people of God. And we're waiting to be reunited with those who have already gone to be with the Lord. And also in Christ, God has blessed us beyond our imaginations. And he's still got more to give. And so we live grateful lives, constantly thankful to God for his goodness to us in Christ. And lastly, through the resurrection of Jesus, we've been guaranteed a place in the new creation. Christ is the way to the true heavenly promised land. And so we live as strangers on this planet. This isn't our home. But home is where we're going. Or rather, home is where we'll be taken. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness to your promises. Thank you that in Christ you have already blessed us, already made us your chosen people, your treasured possession, already guaranteed us a place in your new creation. Thank you for your faithfulness in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Father, it astounds us that you have more to come, more to give. You are so generous and good. We pray that as we wait... We would be expectant people, grateful people, strange people, trusting in you, living for you gladly, waiting for your son to return. Amen.